Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good morning. How are you? Everybody good? Lots of great stuff coming up for women's ministry. We've got some new classes that'll be starting. Uh, we have a really cool event uh, the ladies are working on. We're actually coordinating with Camp Bow Wow, our tenant back here, the dog daycare. And we're putting on a dog show. It's called Puppy Palooza. And my dog's going to win. I'm just telling you. I've got a new dog. He's going to win. You can't beat him. His name's Beauregard, and he's going to crush. So uh, be there. Uh, also, we just bought our second vintage Corvette to give away at our next car show, which is in May. So don't miss the car show. Turbos and Tacos is the name of that event. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, opportunities to invite people. Super important to invite people. Remember, all of us are praying right now and asking God, who do you want me to bring? Three things Oaks Church families are praying. Who do you want me to bring? Where do you want me to serve? God, what are you calling me to give to move the vision forward? Who do you want me to bring? I've been inviting people left and right. I hope Vanessa is here. I invited, I had to have blood drawn this last week and Vanessa uh, helped me out and I got to pray with Vanessa and it was awesome. And if you're not here, Vanessa, I hope you're watching online and you better be for, here for Easter uh, in Jesus' name. So uh, invite friends, bring friends. Let's make this Easter the greatest ever. Uh, thank you uh, for Pastor Brandon for kicking off our series last week, Alive Inside, Believing God Through Impossible times. Have you ever been through a time that seemed impossible? Man, I've been through a few. Uh, I remember geometry, 10th grade. That was an impossible time. Uh, and, 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 I, and I miraculously got an A plus on the final and the teacher who hated me because I didn't realize that you shouldn't call someone crazy that actually deals with mental disorder. Uh, she hated me. I just was, uh, made a joke. Hey, you're crazy. Well, she actually was. And, and, and so when I got an A+, plus, she thought I cheated and tried to fail me and flunk me out. That was seemingly impossible, but not as impossible as when I had to change my major my sophomore year of college because Kim 1 and Kim 2 were not working out and I had inorganic and organic chemistry next with the same teacher. She didn't like me either. I'm beginning to see a pattern in my life with certain types of teachers. But, but in impossible times to you, could, could, you could connect to a heartbreak. You could connect to a divorce. You could connect to a, a job loss. You could connect to something going on in one of the relationships with your kids. This gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that's all about the impossible becoming possible. The impossible becoming possible. The whole story of Jesus is an impossible story. Born of a virgin? Impossible. Not even likely. That her husband believed the story and stayed with her? Impossible. That, that wise men would travel all the way across the continent and bring offerings that modern scholars equate to multiple millions of dollars that would fund the life and the ministry of Jesus for the next 30 years. It's impossible that, that, that he would actually fulfill all of the prophecies that, were, that had been declared all the way from the Garden of Eden through thousands of years of human experience and that one man would fulfill all of those and that one man would be Jesus. And today as we begin Holy Week or Passion Week as it's called. We're celebrating the passion of Jesus. Passion means suffering. Jesus was passionate 
about you. He was willing to suffer for you. And so this week as we walk through it, it's important that we connect to the suffering of Jesus because it helps us to remain grateful and we serve a God that is with us in the impossible. In fact, we serve a God of the impossible. Our God is the God of the impossible. I, I know that each and every person goes through different things in their life. Um, there are certain people that life seems to be really easy for them. They don't have a lot of struggles. There are other people that it seems like every time they turn around, they're running into another uh, conflict or another struggle or another setback. Um, I know that for my wife and I, we've been through a number of major setbacks in life. Uh, my wife started out with a little bit of a setback when her father, when she was 14, um, fell into a very traumatic time in his life and he took his own life. And it was a massive setback for Jennifer. It was, a, it, it was marked by death, but it didn't end there. See, for us, impossible times would continue. And, and, and we found ourselves with our first baby facing a fatal brain tumor that would result in her death. And it was, it was horrific. It was impossible. And it was in those times of impossibility that we learned about faith. It was in those times of impossibility that we learned uh, how to believe. But those impossible times were really, really hard on our faith. Very hard on her faith. Just a couple years later, Jennifer's stepdad, Charlie, passed of a similar brain tumor to our daughter. Different but similar. It was a horrific reminder. And if I could be very, very honest with you, we have spent a lot of time in our marriage dealing with grief. But I can tell you that holding on to God through the times of impossible is what has taught me to have a certain type of faith that I know is very pleasing to God. See, we don't need faith in the good times. We don't need faith when everything's going right. We don't need faith when all the bills are paid and all the deals are coming through and everything's hunky-dory and we're planning a, 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 a vacation to Hawaii. We don't need faith in those moments. We need faith in the down times. We need faith in the struggle. We need faith in conflict. And it's in those places of conflict, it's in those places of struggle that God shows himself so strong. This morning as I was praying and preparing, I had a song in my spirit. It was a song called Egypt. And, and, and I reached out to Lewis. I said, hey, Lewis, I said, is there any chance, I've got this song in my spirit, is there any chance that this song is in the lineup over the next couple of weeks? And he said, it's actually in the lineup today. I'm not one of those pastors that's overbearing that tries to force everybody to sing what I want them to sing. I, I trust our worship pastors to hear the Holy Spirit and, and it proved true today. And as I look at that song and the lyrics, what moved my spirit was the lyrics, cause you stepped into my Egypt. You took me by the hand. You marched me out in freedom into the promised land. And now I will not forget you. I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. See, all of us have seasons of Egypt in our lives. We all have seasons that we go through in our lives. E Egypt represents for Israel 400 years of suffering and slavery. It, it represents a, a time where they felt as if they had been forgotten. It represented a time where they were crying out saying, God, where are you? I know that feeling, guys. I know the feeling of, of feeling abandoned by God because what was going on in my life didn't make sense. See, I was a really great Pharisee, amazing Pharisee. I was a performer, a competitor, 
Oh, so be a good Christian? I'll be the best Christian. I'll be a world champion Christian. I'll beat everyone else's Christian. I'll be a Christian that your Christian can't ever measure up to because my Christian is so Christian. And I was literally, whatever rule, whatever thing you could do to prove and to be the best, I thought that I had God's arm behind his back. He had to do what I wanted because look how good I live. Look how much I tithe. Look how much I volunteer. Look how much I abstain. Look how much I fast. And when I found myself in a place, a fight of faith for my daughter's life, and as a fighter, as a contender, as a competitor, I'd been in lots and lots of fights. I'd lost some fights, but I'd never been in a fight that was fatal. I'd never been in a fight where there was no rematch, no next tournament, no next event, no going back to the playbook, I'll see you next time. I'm gonna get you, sucker. I didn't have that. She was gone. And I was a youth pastor with about seven or 800 kids in our youth group and I didn't even know if I believed the Bible anymore. It's a bad place to be. It's a real bad place to be. I, I would be in the back, 500 kids in an auditorium bigger than this, waiting for Pastor Joel to come out and preach and I'm in the back crying because I don't believe the Bible. And I'm empty and I'm weak and I don't know what to say and I'm in the back going, God, don't make me. God, don't make me. God, don't make me. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And somehow I'd muster up the courage to walk out there. Hey, thanks. I'd muster up the courage to walk out there. And in my emptiness, in my weakness, God would be so strong. The Bible says that when we are weak, then he is strong. His strength is perfected in my weakness. See, I was reduced down to a place. And my, listen, my, my, my tears right now are not tears of sorrow. My tears now are tears of joy. Because God has turned my sorrow into joy. He's, he's turned my grief into gratefulness. I'm grateful for even the worst times of my life. Because I learned how to ask a certain question that was different then my previous questions, God, where are you? God, why would you allow this? God, why is this happening to me? All of those questions had hollow and empty moments behind them. But when I finally asked the question, Father, what do you want me to learn from this? God began to speak to me. His response, and I'll never forget it. I was, in the, I, was, I was getting ready for church. I was breaking down. I was weeping in my own, in my own, uh, over my own sink, just trying to get ready for church. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to learn? And instantly in my spirit, I heard him speak. He said, I want you to learn how to be more like my son. The prophet said that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a man acquainted with much sorrow. Guys, I knew no sorrow. I was a 30-year-old who never had known sorrow. I, I, was, I was just talented enough, just clever enough, just charming enough to get myself in and out of whatever situation. I didn't know sorrow. In the Egypt seasons in our life, we're in the, we're, when we're in the midst of impossible times, is when only God can show up and be God. We serve the God of the impossible. The story we start with today 
as we celebrate Holy Week is the story where Jesus is about to ride a donkey in and be declared the Messiah, the King of Israel. Another impossibility. But before he makes that ride on the donkey, he stops by one of his best friend's house, Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Martha, the serious one, and Mary, the one that was serious about worship. Martha, when you see her in scripture, she's always in the kitchen. She's a good woman, making good meals, making magic happen. Hopefully tamales, but probably not because she was Jewish. But the best hummus, I bet Martha's hummus was incredible. Martha's always irritated because Mary's not helping. Mary's at Jesus' feet. Mar Martha's always like, why aren't you doing more? Mary just kept hovering in the presence of Jesus constantly. But we start ahead of the story a little bit because in this specific instance, Lazarus wasn't supposed to be at this table because Lazarus had actually gotten sick and died just a couple weeks earlier. So he's sitting at a table now with Jesus a few weeks after being dead. And it was at that table at his own house, John 12, verse 7. Mary comes in, and she takes a jar or a box. It was called an alabaster box. It was a box of, of precious anointing oil. We anointed these babies and families with oil that wasn't so precious, just regular oil. It cost maybe 50 cents for a little vial of it. The oil I'm talking about that Mary brought was her dowry, theologians believe. It was, according to Judas, worth one entire year's wages. That's a significant offering. In fact, it's an offering that Jesus said was legendary. That it will be talked about throughout all of human history. We're doing it now. Worth a year's wages. She comes in while everyone's reclining at the table. Martha's in the kitchen. Mary breaks out. The, the alabaster box and actually breaks it open and pours it over Jesus and she washes his feet and pours it on his head and she, she's doing this beautiful act of worship and Judas gets angry and upset about it. Why such waste, he says. Could have sold that, given it to the poor. We could have, we could have fed thousands of people. Why such waste? Oh, people will often mistake worship for waste. Leave her alone, Jesus replies, verse 7. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, Judas, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This is how cruel religion can be. Lazarus was just dead. Now they want to kill him again. Because the miracle's too good. They can't refute it. Verse 12 says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Now look, the whole world has gone after him. This is an amazing day we celebrate today on Palm Sunday. An amazing day of celebration, the beginning of Passion Week and the beginning of the suffering of Jesus. This story that we have has three major impossibilities in it. Number one, an impossible offering I just mentioned to you. It's not often that we see someone come and bring an offering that's equal to what they earn in a year. It's extremely significant. I would say rare. I would say almost never. Significant. Impossible. The theologians I mentioned believed that this was her dowry. Mary came to a place in her life, in her worship. In that, in that era, for a woman to have a proper, in a, in a a proper aligned marriage and be partnered with the right kind of family. It wasn't just about the man bringing uh, and having something to bring. The woman had to have a dowry. In fact, it was more valuable to have sons and people that had daughters had to save and save and save so that they would have a dowry that would be honorable enough to get into a good family. And sadly, in this time in history, marriage and uh, making that contract was similar to a real estate deal. And, and, and the woman was property. And for Mary to take her dowry and break it open and pour it out on Jesus, she was literally pouring out her future. She was giving up her own potential of being married, saying that I'll never find a man more worthy of this. And I'm willing to lay down my own future, my own hope of marriage, my own hope of children, my own opportunity to fulfill purpose in my life because there will never be a greater purpose than this with Jesus. It's an impossible offering. You see the impossible situation of, 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 of a, a virgin conceived baby born in abject poverty just a couple decades later being declared as the king of Israel and riding in on a donkey which is the symbol watch this a king on a donkey in scripture represents a king of peace a king of peace a king on a horse is a king of war when Jesus returns it says he will be on a white horse a victorious warrior but on this occasion, he's rising in as the king of peace. Did you know that Melchizedek in scripture, Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, is the king of peace. It's a beautiful picture in scripture. What's called a theophany. They believe, many, that Jesus uh, revealed himself 
before he was born a virgin in the form of Melchizedek. A number of different occasions through scripture, there are moments where that happens. It's beautiful. So you see that impossibility of an a impoverished, virgin-born child becoming the declared king. He didn't just stop there. He, he goes in, as he rides in, he has a whip that he has made by himself. He fashioned with his own hands. He premeditated a crime where he's going to go into the temple and he's going to drive out with this whip all of the criminals that were running a mafia-based uh, opportunity where you would bring your, your lamb in to be the sacrifice for your sins, for your family, and they would do a mafia deal and say, no, 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 that lamb's not good enough. Here, we'll sell you this one. This one's better. But the whole deal is they would just take this lamb, say, that's not good enough, make the sale, take that lamb back around, and sell it to the next family. It's a scheme. Jesus turns the tables over. He literally takes over the temple. He, he sets up his own ministry in the temple, and, and the entire government of Israel did nothing about it. And then we have Lazarus, who, who was dead just weeks before. Not, not just not just partly dead, fully dead, not just near-death experience. In the grave for four days, when Jesus went to roll away the stone, Martha said, Lord, by now he stinketh. Don't know if you've ever had an impossible time that was so far gone. There was a stench about it. John chapter 11, verse 4, we pick this story up. We'll have a little flashback in the story. Someone came to Jesus. He was out doing ministry with his disciples. And someone came and said, hey, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, your best friend, your favorite person to hang out with whenever you come to Jerusalem. He's really sick, Jesus, real sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. no. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That is one of the most confusing moments in all scripture. If my wife is sick... And I'm on a trip, and I could catch an earlier flight, but because I love her so much, I'm going to stay in Florida by the pool. When I come home, I should not come home. Because he loved them so much, he stayed two more days. Makes no sense to us. It makes no sense. Because he loved them, he let them go from sickness where they had hope to death where they had no hope. Because he loved them, he let them endure the grieving process and all of the people coming, and the funeral and the ceremony and all of it. Because he loved them, he let them go through horrific loss because he loved them doesn't make sense. 
stayed there a couple more days. He says, all right, guys, it's time to go to Jerusalem. Verse 11, after he had said this, he wanted to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Duh, Jesus, common sense, sleep's good. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, watch, watch. And for your sake, I am glad. For your sake, I'm glad. I'm glad my best friend's dead. For your sake. I'm glad everyone's in mourning. For their sake. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. When he gets there, Martha's the first one to meet him. Martha's always the one who's a little snippy. She's a little snippy with Jesus. Martha kind of runs the house. She's always, she's getting on to Jesus when Mary's not helping her in the kitchen. Jesus, make her help me. Jesus, hey, Jesus, you get get her up here and you get her and you make, and Martha Martha had, she she was, Martha was a Karen. All right, Martha is, is the Karen of the Bible. Just, just telling people what to do and getting in people's business and bossing folks around. And, and Jesus had to put Karen in her place from time to time. But Karen loved Martha. All right, we're back to Martha. Martha loved Jesus. She shows up, she says in verse 21, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know her tone, but I've seen her tone in other scriptures. And I can imagine maybe it had a little edge on it. A little bit of frustration. Have you ever had any frustration when you prayed? You ever had any anger when you prayed? You ever prayed and used some choice language that you probably shouldn't use when you prayed? No judgment here. You know, God is not petty. That There are people uh, that I know of that, that, are, that are so deceived into thinking that you have to pray a certain way, call God a certain thing, Address him just the right way, or he won't hear your prayers. Yet he's supposed to be a father that's greater than any natural-born father. My daughter Blakely calls me Jolie Poo. (laughs) With all of her little girlfriends. They're at the tournament, volleyball tournament right now. And when I'm there, show up later and check it out. All of her little friends will say, Jolie Poo. I've killed for less. But it's my baby. Can I tell you, I don't care what she calls me. I just want her to call me. Your God in heaven is not petty. He can deal with your emotions. He can handle your attitude. He can handle your weakness. He can meet you in your darkest place. He's not petty. He doesn't get offended easily. He doesn't have thin skin. Your God went all the way to the cross, took all of the abuse, all of the rejection because of love. Don't know what attitude Martha had. If you had been here, Jesus, if you had been here, we, we, sent, we sent word in enough time, Jesus. You had plenty of time, Jesus. If you had been here, I know my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says, Martha, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. My big question today for you is this. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Who do you know him to be? It's a serious question. Because, listen, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to believe about Jesus. You, you've actually got to know the Jesus you believe in so that you trust him. So that even in the darkest of times, even in your weakest of moments, even in your emptiest, you can answer, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, some people say, Elijah, you're one of the prophets. You're maybe Moses, reincarnated. Interesting, Jesus says. Who do you say that I am? Come on, guys. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter had the guts to step up. I, I love, I love the, the character that Peter is in the Bible. He, he's, he's always the one that jumps up, and he's the first one out of the boat, and he's the first one to grab a sword. He's the first one to say something stupid. I can totally relate to Peter. He's the only one that, he's the only one that Jesus ever said to, Get thee behind me, Satan. How much of a bonehead do you have to be for Jesus to say that to you? I relate to that guy. But on this occasion, on this occasion, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds. He says, man has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, I no longer call you Simon. I call you Peter. For upon this rock, I will build my church. And people thought, because Peter means little rock, rocky. He thought that, they thought that he meant that Peter was the rock they were going to build the church on. So they made Peter the first pope of the church. It wasn't about Peter. It was about the revelation of who Jesus is. The revelation that he is the son of God. The one who has come to take away the sins of the world. It's the revelation of Jesus. Who do you say he is? See, it was in this time with, after the loss of my daughter... My wife and I dealt with it completely differently. I wanted to think about her and talk about her all the time. My wife didn't want to talk about it at all. It was too much. It was too painful. So we had major conflict. Our home was like a, a war zone at times. Because we're both grieving. And we're both grieving in, in all the wrong ways. I, I went from being this Pharisee that abstained from everything to swinging full pendulum on the other side. And, and nothing mattered. I abstained from nothing. Because I did it all. I, I did it all. I fasted and fasted and prayed and prayed and gave and gave and served and served. I did it all. And it didn't work, God. Your Bible isn't even true. I didn't even believe the Bible. My faith was reduced down to a fragment of what it used to be. 
My conversation with God, I'll never forget. I said, God, your Bible is a lie. Psalm 91, it says, that a thousand will fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but none will come near me. And it's a lie. Your Bible's a lie. It came near me. But I had too many experiences with God to just write it off. So I said, God, I, I don't know what I believe, but I know this. I know that you're real. And somehow I know that you're still good. I didn't realize that walking through what I walked through had actually brought me to the place of having the type of faith that pleased God in the first place. See, we often have faith with strings attached. We believe if we see what we want to see. We pray and we believe, and, and when things don't happen, we don't see what we want. We say, oh, I guess God didn't answer my prayer. You know, Jesus didn't pray like that. Jesus made declarations and walked away without looking. I call them peekaboo prayers. Jesus just declared, he told a fig tree, never bear fruit again, kept walking. He told a guy with a shriveled arm, stretch out your arm. Instantly healed. He told, a, he told a lame guy, get up and walk. He, Jesus didn't pray like we pray. We pray, we beg. We grovel. Please, God, please, please, God, please. Get me out of this. I'll never do it again if you get me out. You ever played, prayed that one? The get me out of it prayer? Jesus didn't pray like that. Jesus told stuff to happen and expected it to happen. Well, I mean, Jesus was God, Joel. And that's Jesus. We're not God. No, we're not. But Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do what I do and even greater things. Who do you believe that he is? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to be pleasing without believing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Who do you say that I am? You might find yourself today in a horrific battle of your faith. You might find yourself in impossible times. I get it. You, you may feel like God has absolutely forsaken you. I can relate. You may be reduced down to a type of faith that you don't even know. You're not even sure what you believe. And all you've got is this. I know, I know God is. And I know somehow, some way, he's still good. That's all I had left. See, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For to please God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In my weakest place, in my smallest of faith, I actually arrived at what Jesus taught was mustard seed faith. See, mustard seed faith, Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. If you have faith like a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. That's what Jesus said. And people interpret it, it means tiny, little bitty tiny faith. 
The smallest of faith, the smallest, the mustard seed must be the smallest of all seeds, but it's not. It's not that it was the smallest of all seeds. It wasn't about the size necessarily, but it was about the density of the faith. It was about the indivisibility of the faith. See, rabbis teach that the mustard seed was the seed that was small enough and dense enough that it could not be split in two by a human. It was indivisible as a seed. And the faith that pleases God is faith that has no division in it. No this way or that way. I I was reduced down. You may be reduced down to what you think is weak faith, little faith, no faith. But all you got left is indivisible faith. It happens to be the kind of faith he's looking for. See, it was in that place that God met me. It was in that place that God began to do miracles. When, when, when people would come to me for prayer, and, and, and I didn't know what I believed anymore about healing. They would come to me because they had something going on in their life, and, and I'm over there, I'm praying for them, and I'm having a conversation in my head. At the same time, words coming out of my mouth, but in my head I'm saying, God, I don't, I don't know if you want to heal them or not. I mean, you didn't heal my daughter. I don't know if you want to deliver them or not. I had to go through hell. I don't know what you want to do here. But I'm praying, but in my head, I'm arguing, And then I watched God heal anyway. It had nothing to do with my faith. Nothing to do with my goodness. Because I was no longer abstaining. Shoot, man, I was pastor gone wild. Because I felt like nothing mattered anymore. And watch, when I deserved God the least, he met me. When I had earned nothing, he met me there. And he revealed his goodness to me. So now, when I think about my daughter, and I I think about the suffering, and I think about, guys, it was horrible. It was horrific. But now I'm not filled with grief. I'm filled with gratefulness. Because I've been filled with Jesus. I thought I was full of him before, but I was full of myself, my own performance. And in my emptiness, he filled me. And I'm alive inside. So my grief is now gratitude, gratefulness. My sorrow is now joy, thanksgiving. Because I would never be who I am today without walking through what I walked through. Jesus loved me so much that he didn't come deliver me the way I wanted him to deliver me. He loved me so much that he let me walk through suffering and sorrow because he wanted me to divide, to, 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 to divine and to discover the type of faith that could not be divided. I have one instruction, one simple instruction for you today. It's this. Wherever you find yourself, you could be in the midst of a struggle, you could be in the midst of the trial, you could be going through trouble, trial, struggle, conflict after conflict after conflict. You may be going, I mean, literally, it's like every day is Egypt, every week is Egypt, every month is Egypt, and every time you turn around, there's more being heaped on you and heaped on you and heaped on you. I've got one ask for you today. Believe anyway. Believe anyway. No matter the outcome. 
See, I, I was raised, and I'll, I'll close with this. I was raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And, 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 and in the 80s, I mean, this is the heyday of charismania, the heyday of tele-evangelism. The, I, mean, every, I mean, it was, I mean, mega church after mega church. It, it's the birthplace of, of, um, of, of the word of faith and name it and claim it and, and all that. Kind. I mean, literally the stuff I was raised in, the way I was taught to pray and believe and, and no, no, nothing bad spoken over any people. Look, we're all in a the, in the journey just trying to figure stuff out and believe the best we can believe and all that. So no judgment on anybody. But some of the danger and some of the pitfall of that was that they literally taught us. I remember being taught this as a child that when you pray, it's like putting a seed in the little pot. Remember in school when you put the little bean seed in there? And, and, and so when you put the little bean seed in there in the ground, you, you pray over it, and then you, your prayers are like watering it, and that's your, that's your faith. It's a seed of faith. It's in the ground, and you don't go dig it up. Remember when you were in kindergarten, and you kept digging up that little bean sprout to see, and if you keep digging it up, then it's not going to grow. And I was taught that if I had any doubt whatsoever, the extremism of the name it, claim it, word of faith movement put me in control and power over the outcome. So there were strings attached. There was performance attached. All good, well-meaning people, but trained to be a performance Christian, trained to be a Pharisee, to look down at other people, look down my nose at other people because they don't have faith like I have faith. God, thank you for not making me like that wicked tax collector. But when my daughter died, I had nothing left. And in that moment, I realized I saw something in Scripture. One of the greatest moments of faith is the moment where the three Israelite boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're standing before the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, who has just commanded, if you don't bow before me and worship me, I'm throwing you into this giant furnace, and I'm going to burn you alive right here in front of everybody. The door was so, the fire was so hot. The attendants, when they came to open it, the fire leapt out, and they died right there. They, they died before they even went in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're watching other people die that aren't even in the fire. And they steal their, their spines and they stick their chest out and they say these words to a murderous, wicked king. They said, our God is able. And our God will deliver us. Watch this. But even if he doesn't, we will never bow to you. He's able, he will, I believe that he is, I believe that he's good, but no matter what the outcome, I will never bow. That's the faith that pleases God. That's the faith that pleases God. That's the faith he's looking for. In the middle of your Egypt, Listen, you're coming through Egypt. He's going to walk you out of Egypt. I don't know how long your season is, but he will walk you out of it. He will get you through it. You will come out on the other side, and you will be grateful if you hold on to him. You stay in love with him. His word declares that he is able to make everything work out for the good of those who love him. The secret is you got to keep loving him. Believe anyway. Let me pray for you today. You may be in the middle of a horrific situation. You may be on the verge of one. You may have just come through one and you're, you're still grieving. 
you serve the God of the impossible. He's a miracle working God. If you're in a place where you need God to come through for you, you're in the place where you relate and you're like, Joel, I have been in an impossible season. I'm in, I'm in the middle of an impossible time or I just came out through an impossible time and I'm struggling, I'm really dealing with it right now. If that's you, I want you to just forget what anybody else thinks and I want you to take the bold step just to stand right where you are. Just take a bold step to say, Joel, I, I need the God of the impossible to align with me right now in this moment. Anywhere you are in this building, if that's you, just pop up, pop up. The people around you are gonna just stretch their hands forward towards you in faith. We're not judging anyone. We're agreeing with you. We're in alignment with you. We are a family of God. Just stretch your hands forward toward these people. Those of you online, if you're with us online, go ahead, just stand wherever you are. If you're in a car, pull over, lift your hands up. Do whatever you gotta do. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are the God of the impossible. It's our faith that pleases you, but our faith is not even ours. The Bible says that our faith is a gift from you. You are the one that gives us the faith, so there's nothing we can even boast in. So God, I'm asking you to give your people faith for the impossible. Faith, Father, in the midst of impossible times, a supernatural endowment of your faith. God, help them to believe anyway, no strings attached. No strings attached. Unconditional faith. They believe that you are and they believe that you're good. And no matter what, they'll never bow. Father, would you come through for them? Would you provide for them? Would you never let them lack, Father? Would you get them through this situation as they hold on to you? Would you give them strength, give them endurance, give them courage, give them tenacity? Father, bring the right relationships around them, the right partnerships. Provide for them in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm. Father, your word says that you will feed us and give us a banquet. You make a table for us in the midst of our enemies, it says. Father, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the storm, you stood up, Jesus, and said, peace be still. Father, speak to the storm right now. And we align with you and we declare peace. We declare restoration. We declare provision. We declare healing in the name of Jesus because you are the God of the impossible. And we love you. We love you. We love you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm going to pray one more thing for you. I'm just going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to throw it out there because you never know if there's somebody might be here that needs to make Jesus the Lord of their life today. You, you may be here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Or, or you may be here or watching online and, and you have in the past, but in the season you're in right now, you haven't actually been obeying him. He's not your Lord currently. You believe in him, but you've not, you're not living under his lordship. If that's you right now, this is your moment. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to just pray this prayer with me across the room. Everyone in the room and online, pray this with me. Say, Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He took away the sins of the world. He died for my sins. He rose again. He's coming back again. Today I make him my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand. He's good. He's good, he's good, he's good. Why don't you stand to your feet for just a moment. We're going to worship the Lord just a little bit more. God bless you. Make sure you don't miss Easter. You're not dismissed yet. Don't miss Easter. And you better bring somebody. All right? I love you. Come on, let's worship. 
We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.